This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Come out, come out wherever you are. I don't understand what's going on here. Don't panic. Be careful, Parker. You'll crease some of my dress. Oh, teeny, weeny, teeny, weeny, shrimp, little short dick. Right, right, right. Oh, right. 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 I'm not going to say that. And a good time in series. Oh, yes. <laughs> I missed out on the anyway. underbear. I missed out on the underbear party because I was too busy working. I'm so boring. <laughs> well, you did miss out, darling. You did miss out. I did. I was oh, doing well. a bear cruise with Thick and Juicy. Oh, you did the Thick and Juicy boat cruise. You know I've never done it. I really you know should. What? You should. It is so much fun. I feel like I'd be a hot mess on a boat. Can I just <laughs> say, though, when I rocked up, everyone was conservatively dressed. They had all their clothes on, polos, everything. And my partner and I were like, like, we want to get down into our wrestling outfits. And I had some Aussie Speedos because, of course, it was Australia Day. And we See, for me, a, a queer pool party, like a wrestling single, it would be conservative. Like, that's what I would, <laughs> that's what I would start the day in. We've, that's what I would get the Uber in. Like, that's what I would wear as my travelling outfit. We actually <laughs> felt very underdressed. Oh, that's surprising. But what surprising. we did was we just went to the dance floor. We followed the music, Michael. Mm-hmm. And then we just stripped and made it our own party. And then people just came from all everywhere on the boat with nothing on. You know what you are, Timothy? Trendsetter. A whore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, both things can be true. Am I right, John? <laughs> yeah. Look, I'd agree. But then, usually, a lot of these events, all it takes is one person to actually set the stage and everyone else will suddenly have permission to actually let loose. 
Exactly. Yeah. She's an influencer, darling. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but of course, we are here to talk about uh, men's queer sex this evening. And um, I mean, why wouldn't we have John on the show, really? Uh, <laughs> but we're going to talk about something that I have very little knowledge of, which is um, furries and the furry community. Um, yes. What's, um, Tim, do you have any uh, lived experience in the, in the furry world? I don't actually, but I know there was a little bit of a convention next to my house. A, a lot convention? Of, yes, a lot of furries <laughs> met at the Amora, which is next to my old house. I'm oh, longer there. Okay. I thought you meant just like next door, like John and Joan, whoever, <laughs> Cusack, I guess. Um, next door, we're throwing a convention. But it was, okay, so it was next to a, a, yes. a hotel. But I believe it wasn't. A sexual thing. I believe it was more a social thing. Yep. And John, you'll you'll be able to guide us here. In terms of the furry community, is it sexual? Is it social? Is it a bit of both? It's a bit of both. So there's a lot of people for whom it's exclusively non-sexual. Uh, a lot of people for whom it's very, very sexual. And everywhere in between. So one of the things that the furry community has going for it is that there's just such a wide range, but there's also a lot of people that really want to avoid public sexualization of the community because we have had a lot of bad press in the furry community. So right. we try to, yeah, um, keep ourselves from getting into too many situations of negative influence. And so to, to clarify, do you identify as a furry yourself? Yes. Um, so in the furry community, I'm known as Barbara Lyon. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so I have a line persona. Um, and uh, for me, it's a chance to express. Um, now, you both know me. Uh, I have quite a strong, forceful personality, but I'm also, dare I say it, somewhat kittenish. Um, I uh, like hugs and pats and uh, cuddles and strokes. And so a uh, feline persona is uh, resonating quite well with me. Um, but if you can think of an animal that's out there, uh, there is a furry that identifies as that. I know someone who actually identifies as a cockroach. Wow. <sighs> Sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can never die. And so d- depending on the kind of, obviously the kind of animal that you identify with has something to do with, you know, how intrinsically your personality ties with um, you know, think things about that kind of animal, I guess. Um, do what is it, what would it be about being a cockroach that someone might align with? Well, um, would there be a level the of like subservience or like um, denigration? Oh, I, and, uh, this is actually the person who organizes one of the largest conventions in the world. Um, He's an academic and uh, he's not an easy person for many to get along with. He's got uh, very strong opinions and he was the person who uh, went through the entire community telling them, do not ever, 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 ever talk to the media. And in fairness, he's right. Right. Um, uh, For the most part, the mainstream media has treated uh, as perverts and freaks and weirdos. Uh, it's been a, a point and judge kind of scenario rather than uh, uh, this avenue for um, uh, psychological and sexual acceptance. 
And what is the correlation between furries and, say, pup play? Because pup play seems to be fairly well considered by the community, although not always understood. Why, why do you think there are those discrepancies there? Well, um, uh, if you ask a furry whether or not they think pup play has a place in the, uh, uh, in the furry community, um, a lot of them will actually say no, not all of them. And uh, you will always see a number of pups at furry events. But um, uh, because there has been the um, hesitancy about public sexualization of uh, furry activities, um, one of the things that gets said about furries uh, most often is linking it to uh, bestiality, right. uh, which is not what we're about at all. No. And so uh, avoiding the public links to sexualization is uh, something that a lot of the non-sexual furries uh, really, really try to do. And so uh, because there are quite a lot of them, those of us who do have a sexual element to uh, our furry nature um often don't get the opportunity to uh, publicly express that, although there are quite a few people who do. So um, it's the weirdness of community dynamics. Yeah. Um, and for you, having a, a furry personality that has a sexualized element to it, um, I guess what does that look like in practicality? How, do, how would you express that um, uh, in a sexual manner? Well, um, one of the things that, uh, uh, I do is that uh, Tim, you would remember me back when I had real long hair, which I refer to as my mane. Um, I, yeah, I took the element of actively trying to look like a lion uh, to a, a certain degree of effort. Um, I was uh, I'd wear a tail, and uh, in uh, sexual context you would uh, purr and growl and roar. Um, so there's a lot of that uh, taking on the mannerisms of your fursona, um, whether that be socially or sexual. Um, but there's also things that you would do in a play setting, like you may actually have sex in a, a parts of a fursuit. Um, one thing about the practicalities of being a furry engaging in sex is that most people uh, will not have involved sex in a full fursuit right. because get hot in there. Mm. Administratively, it would be somewhat difficult. And would you perhaps yeah. poke a hole in there for your penis to come out or something like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so there's uh, lots of avenues for um, uh, whether that be front holes or tail holes. Uh, so that all of the relevant bits are still accessible. I know someone who has a full dog hood who the jaw is articulated so that he can still get a cock in his mouth. Oh, that's oh, just handy is what that is. Very much so. That's, that's the, yeah. the thinking man's furry. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, and I guess I wanted, uh, what I wanted to ask about is, you know, we have pretty good, in most major cities, we've got pretty good access to different kink groups and... 
um, there's a certain amount of visibility, especially here in Melbourne. We've got, um, you know, active, you know, rubber, leather, pup, you know, official groups and they have outings, you know, for the pups, it's their mosh and for the leather men, it's, you know, things like vice and spit and polish and those kind of events. Um, what do the furries have? Do they have a space to sort of either call their own or is it a little bit more underground? Um, kind of both. Uh, so on a day-to-day basis, you've got uh, smaller groups of furries in virtually every major city in Australia. But uh, across uh, Australia at various points, you have large-scale conventions. So uh, this coming weekend, there's one in uh, New Zealand, in Otaki. Uh, there's one uh, in February here in Melbourne, another one in May up in the Gold Coast. And we're talking large-scale conventions here. Um, wow. Hundreds of people attending. and. These are people who've spent thousands of dollars on their um, on their fursuits and their costumery and their gear, um, and at virtually every con there are uh, play parties that are basically furry orgies. Um, awesome. Yeah, for those people who engage in the sexual aspect. And how do you? determine someone that might be interested in, in, in engaging sexually? Um, it is just like uh, meeting someone at a bar or so on. You just uh, express your interest and uh, either they're going to say yes or they're going to say no. Sure. And yeah. in terms of online communities, are there online communities out there that you can join and be part of? Absolutely. There's things like uh, websites like Fur Affinity, uh, which is probably one of the biggest in the world uh, for furs. There's a whole lot of chat groups. Uh, furries have got to be one of the few uh, groups that still use IRC online quite a bit. Oh, so oh there's goodness. IRC chat. Oh. Wow. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but then... There's a lot of them who are actually, you know, like as old as me. That so takes that, me back a long way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, is that where sort of you found your, I guess, your tribe or your, your pride, as it were, when you're, you know, engaging in the in the furry community? Was it sort of online that helped you get connected or was it through, you know, friends or events or that sort of thing? I was actually really lucky to meet a couple of furries at an event in Sydney uh, who are the ones whom I connected to the furry community. Um, and so I was very lucky uh, in that regard. But there are a lot of people who do uh, come along to the furry community through online groups, through uh, Telegram chats or uh, Facebook groups. And uh, you get a lot of people who find uh, their acceptance there. So you have uh, on the Facebook groups, internationally, you'll see at least a few people a week going, hey, I'm new to this, and I think I'm a blah. And people always just treat that person as a, welcome to the club, here's your toaster oven. and uh, <laughs> Your tote bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your membership kit. Uh, please remember to uh, tip the waiters on your way. Um, <laughs> um, and I guess are there any sort of... Uh, 
when you're finding your feet or you're finding your way through a new community, uh, the, you know, is there a a system like in the say the leather communities where there's you know there's daddies and there's doms and subs and you have someone to maybe um, take mentor. a leadership role and and yeah mentor you through you know finding your feet in the community? Does that exist within the furry space? Not in the same kind of formalized manner in the leather community, but uh, where I connected to the Sydney furry. Um, uh, those who were of a certain age who referred to themselves as the grey muzzles um, because they had a bit of grey fur. They um, sound like grey nomads. <laughs> well, yeah, and, you know, some of them would not look out of place. White um, <laughs> Oh, okay, yeah, that actually is not inappropriate either. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. What's, um, I want to go back to the cons because I think that's a really interesting concept, not being at all engaged with the furry space. I think that would be just a fun way to um, visit and absorb and, and learn more about it. Do non-furries go to furry conventions or I guess people not in furry mode or furry space in their gear? Oh, look, you'll have some things where people be in full furry gear, others where they're not. Um, but yes, there are definitely non-furry people who go along to these events. So often the non-furry partners of people uh, who are furries will be along at these events and they're having a great time oh. and they're connecting with furries, but they're not actually furries themselves. Yeah. And are most of these events queer or hetero, poly? Uh, what kind of people go to these events? Incredibly mixed. Wow. So you'll have... Uh, uh, straight, gay, boys, girls, trans, every single spot along the radar is you're going to have someone there who is that. Wow. And all types of nationalities or are there certain nationalities that are more inclined to be into this? Look, I, I've actually seen people ac- like across the entire spectrum. So... Uh, the events that I've seen in Australia have been dominated by those nationalities and racial backgrounds that are present here in Australia. But uh, I've seen uh, I've seen Arabic people at these things. I've seen uh, uh, Black American people. I have seen virtually every type of Asian person that I can identify. Uh, and white people coming out the wazoo. So wow. there is everything. I have to say, I'd be quite fascinated seeing different animals having sex with each other. Yeah, yeah, if there's like a giraffe, the giraffe well, and that cockroach. That. <laughs> it, well, it's funny you should say that because there are actually a number of uh, specialist uh, manufacturers, you might say, that make... Uh, Animal shaped dildos. Oh, I've seen lots Ooh. of those. There were a lot at Folsom this year. There was um, I can't remember the name of the company that had the dragon, um, uh, uh, fa- dragon phalluses and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some that like lay eggs and stuff. It gets very involved. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the the ovipositor based on yes. the uh, the alien movie series, mm. uh, which is uh, very popular in that area of the community. Wow. Um, you've got uh, ones that are based on uh, dog-shaped uh, 
so that they've got the knot towards the base. Uh, you've got other ones based on felines, so that they've got uh, rounded spines along the, uh, the head and everything in between. One of the real popular ones amongst uh, the fisting crowd is the equine dildos, so horses. Yes. Oh, yeah. interesting. And in terms hmm. of the organisation of these events, are they planned out days or is there just one big social convention and then they have sporadic parties around it? Um, there's definitely planned out days. So for cons, you've usually got uh, conference sessions, so you've got guest speakers and plenaries and so on, but you're also going to have uh, a dance party on a particular night. You'll have a first who walk through the city on another day and uh, there'll be uh, an area where all the artists are doing furry art. That's so exciting. Wow. Um, you are listening to Hide and Seek here on Joy 94.9 and Tim and myself are uh, continuing our conversation with John Cock about furries and the furry lifestyle, which I'm finding incredibly fascinating. Same. Um, now, I want to go back to your persona for a moment, John. You have a, a lion-type persona, Barbary Lion, which can I just dovetail? Is that a reference to Tales of the City? No. Oh, because no, they, no, they live on Barbary Lane, so I assumed it was a a, a <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge to Tale of the City, yes. um, which yes. you can now uh, take I and pretend that, that it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, so you have a so you have a lion persona. Um, yes. Have you ever had other personas, or are there people within the furry community that sort of have either you know multiple animals or animus or, or however you refer to them that they sort of you know ebb and flow between, or do people sort of transition between one and another? Absolutely. So um, there's one person I know uh, who used to be based here in Melbourne who uh, was known as uh, Kangaroo Persona, but he also has another one that's a dog named Duke and uh, a range of others. Then you've got uh, some people, like one of my former housemates, uh, started off when I first met him as a... wolf and then became a fox at a later stage um, uh, you've got people transitioning as their own personality evolves their personas will evolve and match then you've got uh, just like there are drag queens who've got different uh, drag personalities that they take on to express different parts of themselves you've got other people who will collect different identities uh, which are just different ways of expressing a facet of their personality. That's really exciting. Um, so if I were to go to one of these cons, um, you said there mm. were you know different things going on throughout the day. Is it could I expect to see something like you know sexpo with like you know, individual stall holders selling different wares and that kind of thing with plenaries, or uh, is it a bit more informal? Yeah, than so that? there is an there is an artist alley or. Uh, uh, a vendor space, so that's where people have actually paid for a table or a mini stall to sell their wares. But um, uh, there really is something for everyone. So you've got some stuff that will be quite uh, PG-friendly and uh, 
other things that are uh, usually in a separate area because some of these ponds are all ages again, um, where it's got the more adult stuff. And John, I'm the kind of person who loves a good dress up. But sometimes mm. I can't decide on what I'm going to wear. So could I be one type of furry one day and another the next? Or do you kind of have to stick with your character? Well, as with uh, my friend, the kangaroo slash dog slash literally everything else that I've ever seen him do, including one line, um, some people will wear whatever feels right on the day. Uh, but... Fursuits be expensive. Yeah, that's yes. true. Do um do yeah. people get into you know like um to draw that comparison with drag again? Do people are there people sort of leaders in the community that take on sort of a a role of being sort of you know the mother hen kind of character of being the one that like makes suits for people? Absolutely. Um, there have been a few people in Australia that have been amazing at making fursuits over the years, including. Some that I know of in New South Wales and in Queensland, and a couple that were here in Melbourne. Um, but a lot of the fursuit makers are actually overseas, so a number of people will send their measurements and what's called a duct tape dummy to a person overseas who will then make a fursuit based on that. What's a duct? Uh, <laughs> what's a duct tape dummy? What does that kind of look like? Okay, so what you do is you get a pair of um, usually uh, cheap flannelette pajamas from Kmart or Target or something like that and put them on and then wrap it uh, top to bottom with duct tape. Ah, Ah. to make like a shell over your flannies, I guess. Yeah, and then cut it off. Right, to give you sort of an additional dimension of measurement. Exactly, and so that's used as the basis of what you are actually physically like for them to use as a a base for your fursuit. Wow, so they're all customisable. It's not you're a small, medium or large, you can send your measurements away and I'll do it for you exactly. These things are completely custom, which is why uh, a lot of the time uh, people uh, who have bought a fursuit that is not adult activity compatible, will not do any adult activity in the fursuit because it would mean either getting a whole new fursuit that is adult compatible or modifying the existing one, which could lead to a very big bill. Mm. So I imagine if, if you're looking at, you know, um, having a play session in the suit while you're getting it made, you would make that consideration and have zips and snaps and things to make it more accessible. Yeah, so one thing that a number of people that I know do is they'll actually get what's called a partial suit. So it's one that uh, has legs from the knee down, uh, arms from about where a T-shirt sleeve would stop uh, down to the hands and so on, Um, but uh, across the torso and basically where a pair of shorts would go. They'd actually Ah, wear a T-shirt. Right. So it's like taking a suit and cutting it up into different sections. Almost, yeah. Yeah, cool. So from a... um, and that's actually sorry, uh, that's also one that is uh, commonly used in Australia because uh, it's a lot hotter here than it is in, for example, uh, a lot of North America, where mm. the majority of very community is based. So, from a personal point of view, John, going back to the 
sexualization of of furism, if you like. What animals turn you on when you're in that zone? Yeah, I guess if, if you're a lion, are you more attracted to other lions or is, are you more attracted to someone who has a completely different animal personality than yours? Well, um, I have a tendency to play with uh, foxes, wolves, and uh, uh, a, lot of other can- a lot of canine species. Uh, I have been known to play with the occasional bear. Um, and not so the ones in the boom. But uh, probably the most unusual one that I have played with is uh, a griffin. Oh, oh, well, that sounds like fun. So, have they just gotten two different furry suits and cut it down the middle and just joined them together, or have they gotten a griffin made? That, well, that person actually did have a griffin made, but uh, there cool. are. There are all sorts of uh, capacities to mix and match. So, um, <laughs> I guess it's limitless. Do, do people make up their own, you know, there's obviously mythical creatures, like there's you've got griffins and there's people yeah. that are into dragons and that sort of thing. Do people make up their own kind of thing? Like, I don't fit, I'm not a hawk, I'm not a cat, I'm not a whatever. I'm going to make up this creature. But I'm a pterodactyl. Ter- <laughs> I'm sure there's pterodactyls. <laughs> if you can think of it, it's probably out there. Um, but, yeah, do also, people yeah. make up their um, own kind of thing? Yeah, so you'll have some people uh, that tend to be a lot more cartoonish uh, fursuits that uh, are a more generic animal or they'll just be a cartoonish creature uh, that's not as well defined. So you'll have dragons, you'll have all sorts. I've seen a unicorn. Um, Probably the most fun fursuit that I've ever seen was the drama llama. The drama llama. <laughs> what does what yes. was the drama llama? Uh, it was a llama fursuit, and uh, uh, on the lower half of the neck of this fursuit was uh, a piece of mesh coloured the same as the fur, which was where the person could actually see out of. But uh, uh, this fursuit held its hand over the mouth of the llama head, and it was always walking around uh, as though someone had said something that was going, It was a gasp llama. llama. It was a gasp llama. <laughs> yes. You sound very and high so maintenance. I, yeah, I just thought that one was so funny that I would absolutely have had sex again. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess drawing it back to that sort of sexualized space, obviously you have things like, you know, probably zippers and, and buckles and all kinds of things to make it accessible for you to play in. Um, some of these yeah. suits are obviously really expensive. They're probably quite bulky, um, especially the ones that I've just had a bit of a look online, the ones that have the big giant, almost like um, sports mascot heads, like giant heads. How do you maintain your suit, especially when you're considering things like lubricants and bodily fluids are potentially coming in contact with something that's quite very, furry? Very, very, very carefully. Sure. Would you yeah. just would you, um, you would just pray for to have a bath wherever you were living and sort of hand wash it delicately, or what would the process yeah, look like? Yeah, look at hand washing, uh, dry cleaning, specialist cleaners, um, steam cleaning. Um, uh, one of the advantages to the fact that uh, virtually all of the fur is artificial um, is you almost never. Uh, have a problem with actually getting water on it. So mm. uh, warm soapy water uh, can do wonders. Uh, the only issue 
painted on the fursuit that you have to be mm. careful around. So, for example, uh, around eyes or noses or things that are not actually fur. Yeah. Can you still be a furry if you are, say, an ocean creature, like a seal or yeah, a so dolphin? Well, some seals have fur. Absolutely, um. <laughs> absolutely. I've seen an orca. Oh. oh, and was the assuming they were wearing a suit? Was it furry or was it more like a latex rubbery. or rubbery or lycra? Um, it was uh, lycra over a shape. Uh, ah. so, that's yeah. my kind of furry. Yeah. I identify as an orca. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so you can just lay well, about. That would make you pretty a bum. They, 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 you know, they're intelligent, but they're kind of murderous. Um, <laughs> no, they, That's you, Michael. They attack and play with like baby everything. seals, uh, throw, throw their little um, prey around as toys. Yeah, I'm, I'm identifying so more as an orca as this conversation. Seals, that means you have, if you were a baby seal, does that mean that you'd have, like, glow sticks and, like, be dancing around techno and said we're clubbing? Go, going clubbing, yeah. <laughs> I'm intrigued about these dance parties, seeing everyone dancing on the dance floor in their outfits. That'd yeah. be pretty cool. Yeah, look, it looks amazing, but as I said, it gets really hot in those things. Yeah. So you have some people who actually have fans and cooling systems built into their fursuits. So these things get heavy. Yeah. Oh. You always need to hold um, uh, a furry dance party event in one of those, you know, those like ice bars where you go in and like you get your drink and it's in a glass made out of ice <laughs> and it's just it's just like an ice box all around you, like Mister Freeze from yeah. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I would... used to run the, I I used to run the um, the Mardi Gras float for the furries, and uh, when people were taking off their suits at the end of the parade, you would have buckets. Of sweat mm-hmm. pouring out yeah. of these suits. It's like whenever I, yeah. t- you know, I'm often at the um, the slick and the rubber events doing the what we call the slick station. So getting people in and out of their, um, their <laughs> getting in and pe- people in and out of their rubber and you know applying their um, their Vivashine or whatever the product is to them um, to make sure that it all stays in one place and people don't trip over silicon and slippery things. And honestly, by the time I'm finished that, especially if it's in summer, I like pull the leg of my rubber open and it's just like gushes out. It's like the blood in The Shining coming out of the elevator. It's just like, whoosh, <laughs> it just goes everywhere. It's, yeah, I can yeah, imagine. Exactly. I can't imagine what it's like being a fairy because it would absorb all the sweat as well. You know, some of it would. Yeah. So mm. you do need to, uh, to clean your fursuit after uh, the majority of wears because otherwise she gets stinky. She gets stinky. And I guess how, going back to the sex side of things, um, we talked about yeah. sort of the care and maintenance. Are there any kinds of things that you shouldn't bring in contact with your suit? You know, things like um, specific lubricants or or anything that you should kind of stay well clear of? I guess a lot of heat if, you know. Um, J-lube. If, oh if it's like goodness. an acrylic or synthetic kind of hair, it would melt. You know, you don't want to get too much into fire play, mm. I guess. But any kind of lubes or things you should stay away from or um, specific toy products? Look, I would be careful with uh, any of the messier lubes, uh, like uh, Crisco, etc., just because they would be fairly hard to clean out. Anything that stains, you want to be careful of. I guess if it's safe um, for your sheets, it's safe for your play suit, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Have you ever spilt silicon lube on your sheet? Yes. Um, More times than I care to... Yeah, <laughs> one of those ones where no matter how many times you wash it, that sheet is still slippery 
bring the yeah. dead up. The minute you spill it, you're just like, well, those sheets are ruined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is so, why I'm a fan of a hybrid, because it's silicony, but it's it's water soluble enough that you can generally get it out. That's my that's my advice. Exactly. That's my go to. <laughs> uh furry want to be uh either have a play designated uh suit or use loops that you can wash out easily. Yep. Or produce your own lubes. <laughs> Do guess. they have specific well, have lubes for furries? Um, not really. Uh, generally, most people will use water-based because, again, silicon lube does not work particularly well because it will just stick to and absorb. Mm. But, um, yeah, as a general rule, most water-based lubes are fine. And in terms of these events, do they have a best dress competition? I would be so competitive. <laughs> Absolutely they do. So you'll uh, generally have the, uh, the first suit parade and uh, a lot of the time you'll have awards uh, that are audience or judge voted. So uh, it depends on how the individual event is organised. But yeah, there's almost always something to uh, show off who's got the uh, best new suit. Amazing. Do people get really like, do they get like engineering involved with their suits with like moving like electronic flappable wings and, you know, all that kind of stuff? Like do they work in the animatronics element? Some people do. Um, I know the first suit maker in uh, the uh, southern parts of New South Wales who created an animatronic tail. Um, and, uh, For the lazy fairy who can't be bothered wagging. Well, <laughs> Maybe you've got hip problems, who knows? A lot of these things are, they're big and they're heavy. So, yeah, I guess, yeah. Uh, in order to wag in a certain way, it actually requires mechanics. Mm. What about a mechanical phallus? Oh, that would be handy. Just like a jackhammer attached to the front of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty much what I have anyway. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just growing on you. <laughs> like a fungus. <laughs> uh huh. I- <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, John, you mentioned there's a um, a convention coming up soon. Well, there's a few coming up across the country. Um, when, mm. when is the one in Melbourne happening again? Uh, that's happening, I think, the 23rd of February. And um, if you wanted to get along to that, is it an expensive endeavour? I mean, obviously, you have to, like, get your furry gear and your suit and everything, which can be expensive. Um, but is it relatively accessible? Um, reasonably, um, or at least it is in terms of uh, how expensive furry conventions generally are. So uh, for a basic entry, you're looking at under $100 for, uh, for the event uh, from memory, but uh, there are people who will get uh, VIP entries that include uh, everything uh, suit to nuts, including the uh, different parties of uh, various evenings. Because the thing to remember with a lot of these events is that they're hiring out a hotel sure. and all of it convention spaces and things like that. So it ain't cheap to put these things on. Yep. And um, is the, I've just looked up that Melbourne Furcon is the next one. Oh, it's 70s retro sci-fi themed. That's exciting. Oh, goodness. Um, is, that, yeah. is that in a hotel space or do they use the convention centre? I mean, it depends how big it gets, I guess. Um, that one, I believe, is being held uh, at one of the hotels in the city. Mm-hmm. 
So it's uh, uh, like one of the uh, the chain hotels mm-hmm. that has conference rooms and so on. So I guess that'd be very uh, handy think, too, because you could just like go and get changed in your room and just take the elevator down, and you'd be there. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, a lot of uh, uh, queer community and fetish events of that type across the world use that same basic format. Uh, yeah. So for mm. for uh, for IML, you've got everything in the one hotel uh, with the uh, the vendors in one space. You've got the big amphitheater where the actual show is taking place and so on. Uh, similar kinds of things happen here, but obviously because it's a smaller community, it's on a smaller scale. You are listening to Hide and Seek on Joy 94.9 with Michael and Tim, and we are continuing our conversation with the lovely John Cock about furries and the furry lifestyle. Um, how would you – we mentioned some of those online spaces. If someone's looking to get involved with a furry group, would you? what would your point of entry be, would you suggest? Join one of those Facebook groups or jump on like a furry – their apps or just the websites? Um. Websites, but probably the easiest place to go to is on Facebook. There's a number of public groups, including the uh, International Furry and Pup Play Facebook group. Yep. Um, and so that's one of a relative handful of places where uh, the pup and furry community seem to relatively seamlessly coexist. Yep. Um, and uh, it's a good space to see what uh, is coming into the community and to introduce yourself and try to find things in your area. And I guess it must be difficult to, uh, I guess, exist in that space when, you know, there's things like Facebook groups and stuff where anyone can join and it becomes, you know, people can be in a vulnerable position in that space. You know, obviously you've got um, people coming from, you know, conservative backgrounds that want to kind of infiltrate queer spaces and, um, you, yeah. you mentioned that there's those uh, people that see the furry culture as, you know, as, you know, bestiality and things that are, you know, morally reprehensible, which oh, clearly they're not. Um, how do you safeguard against those kind of um, infiltrations from, from untoward communities, I guess? Um, I think one of, that's one of the reasons why uh, this uh, particular furry that I mentioned earlier uh, came up with the line, never speak to the media, uh, which uh, I take as don't speak to anyone but the queer media. Because mm-hmm. um, sure. you're speaking to uh, media right now, so you've just... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, speaking to the mainstream media is usually the uh, f- fastest way to get yourself outed and negatively portrayed because... Uh, they exist to sell and nothing sells like controversy and uh, intrigue and um, uh, being able to talk about something scandalous uh, and manufacturing a scandal is uh, the holy grail for them because it's something that will uh, sell more papers uh, or uh, make their uh, advertising budget bigger. Um, so it's always important to be careful in those spaces of what you're putting out publicly of personal information. I know a lot of people who 
use a secondary Facebook account uh, under an assumed name uh, before engaging anything that's in a potentially public forum. Right. Uh, uh, but in a number of cases, uh, you've got uh, Facebook groups and so on where um, uh, if people haven't made a post within a certain period of joining uh, the group, then they'll be removed from the group. Sure. So, yeah, because you've obviously got people that want to come in and stir the pot and kick up some nonsense, but then you've got those people that just want to be flies on the wall and figure out what a particular group or community is getting up to and then report it back to whoever. Exactly. Mm. How do you then, I guess, navigate people that want to join and just, you know, you have those people that are waiting to, you know, I'm, you know, f- f- you know, long-time listener, first-time caller kind of thing that wants to mm. engage but qu- aren't quite ready yet. Do they just get automatically removed or is there like a process for um, supporting those people to, I guess, come out within the group and start engaging? Well, um, in some of these groups, they'll just be, uh, uh, they'll be sent a reminder saying, hey, look, if you haven't made a post in this period, uh, your access to this group may be suspended. Mm. Um, but it doesn't have to be much. It just has to be, hi, uh, my uh, persona name is blah, and uh, I'm new to this, and I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing or don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, People who are in it to judge other people usually find it fairly hard to conceal their judgment. Sure. People people have a lot of opinions. Yeah. Mm. And that being said, John, is it common to see people active on apps like Grindr and Scruff as a furry or is that something very much in the closet in terms of being concealed? You don't see it often, Hmm. um, which I think is uh, both fair and unfortunate. Um, A lot of the time, uh, people who are looking to play as a furry will uh, keep it to people they have directly met elsewhere in the furry community. Um, Because uh, for someone who hasn't seen it before, it does come across as weird. And... Uh, as much as we like to uh, uh, be sex positive in the queer community, uh, there's always going to be people who get judgmental on apps. And yeah, it does I seem guess... to be easier for pups to be out. Yeah, I find that too. There's more visibility, I guess, for that particular group. Yeah, there's more visibility. It's uh, more directly connected to the leather community, so they at least have some degree of protection by being under that umbrella. Sure. But because they try to distance themselves uh, as a community from being seen exclusively as a fetish, mm. uh, it presents the problem that they're uh, less uh, protected. This is Hide and Seek on Joy 94.9. Tim and Michael with you tonight. We have been chatting to the lovely John Cock about furism, and it has been a fantastic show. John, thank you so much for joining us tonight. 
No worries. You have a great evening. You do exactly the same. Thank you so much, John, again, for joining us to discuss furries here on Hide and Seek on Joy 94.9. If you would like to catch up with us, you can find us on the social medias. You can just head to our podcast page, joy.org.au forward slash hide and seek. And while you're there, you can grab all of our past episodes and... Uh, engage with us, subscribe to our podcast. Yes. You can leave us a five-star review, or if you didn't like it, just ignore us. <laughs> <laughs> and we're now on Spotify as well. We are now on Spotify, and we are on all the socials. Connect with us. You can also send us an email, hideandseek at joy.org.au, if we've somehow skirted over something you want to talk about in furry life or in any other topic that's going on in the community at the moment. Feel free to get in touch. We would love to chat with you. This has been Hide and Seek on Joy 94.9, and we will see you next week. Bye. Do you want more? Yes! Yes! Oh! Yes! 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 Oh! 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 Catch all the Hide and Seek episodes on podcast at joy.org.au slash hide and seek. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.